they certainly do. Amen? And uh, people do need the Lord. Hey, it's good to be back with you tonight. Thank you for coming back. And uh, I guess I should say that. So thank you for being here and uh, excited about what the Lord's going to do in our hearts tonight uh, through the Word of God. And so let's take our Bibles, if we could, and get right to it. The book of Job tonight. Job chapter number one. Or the book of Jobs, if you want to think of it that way, I guess. It's uh, the book of Job chapter number one tonight. And uh, certainly is a blessing uh, to be with you this evening. Um, we are, my wife and I are in full-time evangelism. We travel together with our two kids. We've got uh, our son Mason. He's three. Chances are good you've met him. He is not shy. He is uh, uh, an introducer to people. And then uh, the, other, the other son we have is Logan. He's one. And chances are very good you have not met him because he does not want to be met. He is, uh, he is to himself. He's our serious guy. And, uh, and so we've got stoic, and we've got crazy, and uh, that pretty much sums up my wife and I as well, and so uh, she's a stoic one. So uh, anyways, but uh, uh, we travel together, and uh, we are on the road uh, currently. We live in Yuma, Arizona, I guess if you want to say we live there, uh, but uh, that's where our home church is, and we travel in evangelism, going church to church, city to city, uh, state to state, and we love it. Uh, we are called to it. And I uh, wouldn't rather be doing anything else in the world. And so if you could, just pray for us as, uh, as we continue to make our journeys. We'll head out here uh, uh, Tuesday and head up to uh, the Orlando area. And then uh, we'll be in South Carolina uh, next Sunday. And so uh, just pray for us as we are uh, on the road. Safety, obviously, for our family as we drive. Job chapter number one. And I want to read the entire first chapter if we could. It's uh, just 22 verses. And I'll kind of explain some things as we go, I guess. Uh, maybe uh, uh, look at what uh, some words mean here as we get started. Job uh, chapter number one. The book of Job's estimated to be the oldest book in our Old Testament. Written some 2,000 years before uh, Christ was born. And so if you want to think of it this way, Job was as far on the before side of Christ as we are on the after side of Christ. And uh, so there's a lot of wisdom in this old uh, book. It says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect. That word perfect there means he was spiritually mature. He had uh, reached uh, spiritual completion. He, he was spiritually mature. He was perfect and he was upright. That means that he was one who sought to do that which was good. He sought to do that which was right. He was one who feared God. That word feared there, it means the idea of a holy reverence. He was one that uh, was uh, a holy reverential towards uh, the Lord. And he eschewed evil. It means that he, he sniffed it out. He didn't want anything to do with it. Man, what a testimony, right? This man named Job. Spiritually mature. Uh, he, he was one that sought to do what, what, what was right. He, he feared God. He had a holy reverence of God. And he, he eschewed evil. He wanted nothing to do with that which was wrong. Uh, what a testimony. And because of it, he was blessed. The Bible says in verse number two that there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. And his substance was also 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses and a very great household so that, his, so that this man was the greatest of all men of the East. Uh, numbers played a very important aspect of uh, life and culture back in ancient times. Uh, they were very superstitious about certain 
numbers. For instance, the number five was the number of death, and the number one was the number of beginnings, and they had different uh, things for each of these numbers. Well, the number seven was uh, kind of the, the number of completion, right? The number 10 was the number of abundance. It was the idea that you had abundantly more than you needed. And it's interesting, Job had 10 children, he had 10,000 cattle, he had a 1,000 animal workforce, 10 times 10 times 10. I mean, in every measurable sense of the word, Job was a perfect 10. He was a spiritual man. He was a blessed man. But he was also a family man. Look at what it says in verse number 4. It says, and his sons, and his sons went and feasted in their houses, everyone his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sinned and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. I mean, this is a man who loves his family. This is a man who loved his wife, who loved his kids, who, who, who prayed for his family. And this is a, a man with a great spiritual testimony. He was blessed by the Lord. He was a family man. But then look at verse number 13, if you'll skip down, where the Bible says, There was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were, were plowing and the she-asses feeding beside them, and, and the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain thy servants with the, with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made about three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away. Yea, and have slain the servants with the edge of the sword and I only am escaped alone to tell thee while he was yet speaking there came also another and said thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house and behold there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young men and they are dead Thy only am escaped alone to tell thee then Job arose and rent his mantle shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshiped and said naked came i out of my mother's womb and naked shall i return thither the lord gave and the lord had taken away blessed be the name of the lord and all this job sinned not nor charged god foolishly have you ever had a bad day no, 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 I mean like a really bad day. Like one of those days where nothing went right, everything went wrong. Like just when you said, well, at least it can't get any worse. It got like 10 times worse right then. You, know? you ever have one of those days where just everything went wrong, nothing went right? One of those days you wish life was kind of like a video game. You could just hit restart, you know, just say, let's just try again tomorrow. Obviously this isn't going well. Uh, one of those days. Oh yeah, I think we've all had those types of days. In fact, I brought a book that helps me illustrate the kind of day I'm talking about. This is one of my favorite theologians. His name's Alexander, and uh, he, he describes a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day that he had. I like my man Alexander. He, uh, he describes my perspective on life perfectly. He says, I went to sleep with gum in my mouth, and now there's gum in my hair. And when I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard, and by mistake, I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running. 
Oh, I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At breakfast, Anthony found a Corvette Stingray car kit in his breakfast cereal box, and Nick found a junior undercover agent wrote a code ring in his breakfast cereal box, but in my breakfast cereal, all I found was breakfast cereal. I think I'll move to Australia. In the carpool, Miss Gibson let Becky have a seat by the window. Audrey and Elliot got seats by the window, too. I said I was being scrunched. I said I was being smushed. I said if I don't get a seat by the window, I'm going to get car sick. No one even answered. Oh, I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At school, Mrs. Dickens liked Paul's picture of the sailboat better than my picture of the invisible castle. And at singing time, she said I sang too loud. At counting time, she said I left out 16. Who needs 16? I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I could tell because Paul said I wasn't his best friend anymore. He said Philip Parker was his best friend, and that Albert Mayo was his next best friend, and that I was only his third best friend. I hope you sit on a tack, I said to Paul. I hope the next time you get a double-decker strawberry ice cream cone, the ice cream part falls off the cone part and lands in Australia. There were two cupcakes in Philip Parker's lunch bag, and guess whose mother forgot to put in his dessert? It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. That's what it was because after school, my mom took us all to the dentist. And Dr. Fields found a cavity just in me. Come back next week and I'll fix it, he said. Next week, I'm moving to Australia. On the way downstairs, the elevator door closed on my foot. And while we were waiting for my mom to go get the car, Anthony made me fall where it was muddy. And then when I started crying because of the mud, Nick said I was a crybaby. And while I was punching Nick for saying crybaby, my mom came back with the car and scolded me for being muddy and fighting. I am having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I told anybody. I told everybody. No one even answered. So then we went to the shoe store to buy some sneakers. Anthony chose white ones with blue stripes. Nick chose red ones with white stripes. I chose blue ones with red stripes. But then the shoe man said, we're all sold out. They made me buy plain old white ones. There was lima beans for dinner. I hate limas. There was kissing on TV. I hate kissing. My bath was too hot. I got soap in my eyes. My marble went down the drain, and I had to wear my railroad train pajamas. I hate my railroad train pajamas. When I went to bed, Nick took back the pillow he said I could keep, and the Mickey Mouse nightlight burned out, and I bit my tongue. The cat wants to sleep with Anthony, not with me. It has been a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. My mom says some days are like that, even in Australia. You ever have a day like that? You ever identify with Alexander? I mean, a day where nothing goes right. A day where you just want to start back over. Man, Job had one of those days. In fact, I would say Job had a day that was far worse than any day I've ever had. A day probably far worse than any day you've ever had. A day where in a matter of moments, Job lost everything. But I guess what I want us to understand this evening is that while sometimes our problems might be natural, sometimes our problems might be supernatural, but I want us to understand our enemy is always the same. The enemy is always the same. You see, before Job's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, there was another day here in Job chapter number one. 
a day that Job was not privy to, a conversation that Job did not know took place between the Lord and Satan himself. Look back at verse number 6, at the verses we skipped just a moment ago. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said to Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and eschewed evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made a hedge of, of, about him and about his house, about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But you put forth thy hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said to Satan, Satan, behold, all that, is, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself put not the forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Oh, God says, what are you doing, Satan? He says, oh, I've been walking to and fro. I've been seeking whom I may devour. I've been looking for my next victim, for my next target. And, and God says, hey, have you considered Job? And he says, oh, I wouldn't dare touch Job. Job is protected. You, everybody knows that. Job is blessed. Of course Job loves you, God. But if you took any of that stuff away, you mark it down, Job would curse you to, his, to, to your face. And God said, you better get ready to eat them words. He says, go ahead, touch all that he hath. Only touch not his life. By the way, in the next chapter, he says, go ahead and touch his health. And Job struck with boils. His wife says, curse God and die. And Job still stays faithful to the Lord. Hey, at the end of our lives, we will not be measured by how bad our days got, nor by how many bad days we had. Our lives will be measured by how we respond to the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. Let me ask you this. How do you respond when things don't go your way? How do you respond to the trials and storms of life? Do you respond in anger? Do you respond in, in bitterness? a root that infects every other relationship? Do you respond perhaps in depression, where you just kind of block everybody else out, and, and now it's just, it's up to you to figure things out? Do, do you respond in stress and anxiety, where, where now, I mean, every little thing that happens, it's obviously a greater negative that's going to happen, and anytime something right happens, it's, oh, well, that's probably just because there's a bigger wrong that's to come. I mean, uh, do you respond in kind of a, a, a worrious, sporadic nature, where now everything's an overreaction instead of taking time to process and think? I wonder, how do we respond? To the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. I wonder, does it look anything like Job? Job, experiencing a far worse day than any of us have ever experienced, responds in a way that proves the thesis for his life. That he was a man who was perfect and upright. A man who feared God and eschewed evil. I wonder, could we notice three reactions from Job's response to a horrible, terrible, no good, very bad day. Three responses of a perfect and upright man. First of all, I believe Job responded, and I believe we need to respond with realignment. With realignment. I don't know if we understand the phrase, as he was yet speaking. But it means that, well, 
as he was yet speaking, right? Okay, so like these messengers, it's not like this has taken place over a few days or a few months. No, no, no. These messengers are coming in one right after the other. And before they can even get their message out, here comes messenger number two to say, hey, my news is more important than yours. I've got worse news. And Before he can get his message out, here comes the third and then the fourth as they were yet speaking. I mean, they're talking over each other to let Job know, hey, everything in your life is gone. And now they're all standing there looking at Job, waiting for his response. And verse number 20 tells us what happens. Then... Job arose, rent his mantle, shaved his head, and fell down upon the ground. This word rent here, it's interesting, we see it oftentimes in the Old Testament in kings. When they would get right with God, they'd rend their clothes. However, we, we just learned Job is older, it predates all of those books. And so Job did not learn this from a king or a spiritual leader. In fact, it's possibly true that they learned it from Job rending your clothes it was an it was an outward expression of an inward emotion in other words when, when there were not words to express how you were feeling they would rend their clothes they would shave their head he'd fell down upon the ground in other words what job is saying here is hey this hurts okay this stinks this is not as i was i want you i want you to, i want to be clear job was not like well ain't that just dandy hey everything's just fine no, this was not Job faking it until he makes it. No, no, no. Job was saying, hey, this hurts. This is not how I wanted things to go. This is, th 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 this is painful for me. Everything in my body wants to respond in bitterness and anger and hurt and, and sporadic. I mean, I, 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 want, I want to respond in a way that would not be pleasing to God. But notice, this isn't fall down upon the ground and woe is me pity party either. Because look at the next word. It says, and he worshiped. He worshiped. He said, God, you are still worthy in my life. He says, Lord, what do you want me to learn from this? God, is this something that I did? Is this something you're trying to teach me? This was a personal inward search of his life. Oh, search me, oh God, and try me. Know my heart and see if there be some wicked way in me and lead me in thy way everlasting why is it that when things go wrong in our life our first assumption is that god's not on our side right because our first question is come on god whose side are you on whose side are you on hey maybe instead of wondering whose side god's on maybe we should wonder whose side we're on Maybe we should be a little more urgent to get back in line with God's side and get back on the path that God wants us on and to make sure we haven't steered into a ditch and make sure we don't overcorrect and go the wrong way to the other side. And maybe we could learn some lessons from the psalmist who cry, lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness. Make thy way straight before me. Hey, God, I want to be on your path. I want to be going in your direction. I want to go the way that you want me to go. Psalm 25 and verse 5 says, show Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy path. Lead me in thy truth and teach me. Man, we need some humility in the trials of life. We need a teachable spirit to say, okay, God, what are you trying to show me? What, what, what way, what areas of my life are you trying to grow me in? I love the Apostle Paul. 
Apostle Paul, man, he was the smartest man. He, he had all, he had all the, the, uh, the educations the, the world could afford him. And yet when he preached, he just preached so simple. And I love that because I'm a simple guy. And, and Paul, in Romans chapter 8, is preaching probably one of the simplest messages that he ever preaches. If I guess I were to put a title on the message he preaches there in Romans 8, it would be things I know about life, right? And in verse number 22, he says, For we know that the whole earth groaneth and travaileth in pain. Point number one, I know life stinks, <laughs> right? Life's painful. Life hurts. Life has disappointments. Life isn't fair. Things don't go our way. Uh, uh, we all are groaning. The whole earth is travailing in pain and agony. We live in a sin-cursed world with sin-cursed people, and there are disappointments around every, every corner. He says, man, life stinks. Life's, life, life's hard. Life isn't fair. Verse 28, point number two, for we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God and to them who are called according to his purpose. Man, he says, man, point number one, life stinks. Point number two, God's good. And because God's good, I know that point number one is going to work out for good in my life. I love it. He doesn't say all things are good. He says all things are going to work out for good. You know what that tells me? It means there's going to be some things in your life that aren't good. It means there's going to be some things in our life that are bad, that are terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. And yet God, at the end of our life, is going to work those things out for good. He's going to construct it in a way that brings about good in our life. You say, well, what good could possibly come from you fill in the blank? Like, what good could possibly come from cancer? What good could possibly come from this death? What good could possibly come from this diagnosis or this pain or this trial? What could possibly, what good could possibly come from that? Well, verse number 29 of, Acts chapter, of Romans chapter 8, Paul says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed into the image of his Son. You know what the ultimate good God is trying to work together in your life? He's trying to get you to look more like his son. He's trying to get you to look more like his son, Jesus Christ. And I tell you, sometimes we walk through the storms of life to wash off all the things that are part of our lives that don't look like Jesus. And sometimes God puts us through the fire to burn away all the imperfections in our life that look nothing like the son of God. And Job understood this because he says, man, he knoweth the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. I'm going to come out the other side looking more pure, looking more refined, looking more like the person I am meant to be. Man, on the other side of this trial, on the other side of this storm, on the other side of this disappointment, on the other side of this terrible, horrible, no good, very bad thing in my life, there is a moment where I come out looking more like Jesus Christ. And I say that's a good thing, not a bad thing. Man, may we respond in realigning our motives and our focus to God's focus in our life. But may, but may we also respond in, rec in, in, in recognition. He responds in realignment, but then he responds in recognition. Look at what he says. Verse number 20 contains the first reaction Job had. Verse number 21 contains his first words. He says, and he said, naked came I out of my mother's womb. 
and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What wisdom. What understanding about life. I mean, he essentially says what Paul is going to tell Timothy when he says, for, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is for certain that we will carry nothing out. Now, I remind you, Job has lost everything in this chapter. Like everything that, that, that labeled him as a blessed man, gone. Job has gone from the greatest man in all the East to the biggest sob story the world's ever known. He's lost everything in a matter of moments, and yet his response is in recognition that life isn't about things. You know, maybe your life's not about your bank account. Maybe life's not about the car you drive. Maybe your life's not about the family you raise. Maybe your life's not about uh, the uh, 401k. And maybe your life's not about the savings account or, or the college degree. Maybe your life's not about the house you live in or the car you drive. Maybe your life's not about stuff. By the way, that's not wisdom from Eric Getsch. That's wisdom from Jesus Christ. For he told his disciples, beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things that he possesses. He says, look. What, what does it profit a man if he shall gang the whole world and lose his own soul? Man, Job here, he says, naked came I out of my mother's womb, naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. That word blessed there, it means oh how happy am I. Oh how happy am I. He says, man, the Lord gave, the Lord took away, and yet, man, I'm still happy. Praise his name. What? How is that possible? I think it's because Job understood that life was not about what he had, it was about who he had. Did you notice the common denominator in all three statements? He says, uh, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Job's life was about the Lord. His life was about his relationship with the Lord. The source of his happiness, the source of his contentment was in the Lord. He, he, he didn't respond in covetousness of, okay, God, you, you gave, you took, but now you're going to give again. No, he responds in contentment. He, he, he responds in a way where he is content. He is satisfied with what he has left, which ain't much. But what he had left, was where he found his contentment, his relationship with the Lord. The writer of Hebrews says, let your conversations, your lifestyle, not be filled with covetousness, but be content with such things as you have. I know there's a lot of preachers that will use that verse and they will uh, preach it that, you know, see, God just wants you to be content with the small little house that you have that has the hole in the roof and when the rain falls, I mean, boom, it's Right there on your bed, but you know, you just got to be content with that. God says, be content, you know, with what you have. I tell you, that's like the most, that's like the most bizarre uh, interpretation of that passage I've ever heard in my life. First of all, if you're going to take a verse out of context, at least use the whole verse, okay? That's not even where the verse ends, okay? The verse doesn't end in a period there. There's a colon. You say, what's the significance of a colon? Well, I didn't know either, but my wife is a grammar nerd, and so she told me the significance of a colon, okay? And a colon means he's about to list what you have, right? So he says, be content with such things as you have, 
colon. Well, what do we have to be content with? For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know what you have to be content with this evening? You have the promise of the presence of God in your life. You have the promise that God walks beside you, that God is near you, that God walks with you. You have the promise of his presence there beside you. And the closer you get to God, the more content you'll be. The, 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 the more you draw near to him, the, the more you find your joy and satisfaction in God, the more content in the things of life you, you will be. He responds in recognition. He responds in realignment. But then notice finally he responds in reference. He responds in reference. Look at what it says in verse number 20. We've, we've looked at this before. But it says, Then Job arose and rent his mantle, shaved his head, fell down upon the ground, and worshipped. Said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He worshiped. Now listen, that does not mean, that does not mean that Job is on the ground and he's like all of a sudden just gets up and he's like, take your hymnals out. Take your hymnals out. Let's turn to God is so good. Let's just sing it now. God is so good. That's not what that's not what this means. I don't believe Job, like, you know, is like, you know what? Strike up the band. Let's go. Get, get the guitars out, get the harps out, get the pianos out. We're going we're gonna to praise and worship here. That's not, that's not what happened here. Worship is more than a song. Worship is literally worth-ship. It's ascribing worth to someone or something. He, he is saying, God, you are still worthy of my praise. You're still worthy of my life. Lord, I'm still going to live for you. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He says, oh, how happy am I? He says, Lord, thank you for this trial. Thank you for this burden. I mean, think about that. Job just lost everything he had. Yet his response is to praise the Lord. Now, let's just be honest. We can barely remember to praise the Lord for our blessings. Like, we have to be reminded in church that, like, we should thank God for the air we have to breathe. Like, Lord, thank you for your load of benefits that you bestow upon me, right? That's the verse of the week. Yeah, why? Because we forget that all the benefits are from him. So if we can barely remember to praise him for the blessings, chances are good we don't praise him for the burdens. You say, oh yeah, I do. Car broke down on the way to church tonight. I got out of the car and said, praise the Lord. First thing I said, no, not in a sarcastic way, in a genuine, sincere manner. To say, Lord, thank you for this trial. We, we don't do that. May I say that's exactly how God would have us respond to the burdens of life? Uh, turn over with me as we close to, to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. This is a prayer from the Apostle Paul. Verse number 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. I'll give you just a moment to get there. 
He says in verse number 7, he says, Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. Okay, so uh, Paul's got a problem. He's got a thorn in the flesh, and we can probably argue and debate all night about what that thorn in the flesh was. I'll submit to you this, th- th- this evening that it really doesn't matter what the thorn in the flesh was. It does not matter one iota. We can debate all night about it. It really does not matter what the thorn in the flesh was. The Bible doesn't tell us what it is. Why? Because it doesn't matter what it is. What matters is that it was a problem for Paul. This thorn in the flesh bothered Paul. It hurt Paul. It, it prevented him from doing Uh, from serving God effectively. It it obviously prevented him uh, from personally writing some of these churches. It it was a problem for Paul. In fact, so much so that he besought the Lord on three different occasions in his life for seasons at a time, asking God to remove it. He says, Lord, thrice I've come to you asking to get rid of this thorn. He, He says, man, it was given to me so that I wouldn't exalt myself above what I should, so that I wouldn't become proud proudful satan tried to use it to buffet me to to hinder the work of the lord to 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 get me to think i'm not worthy of uh, service for the lord he says man this thorn has been a hindrance in my life i've asked god to remove it and look at verse number nine this is the answer he got from god and he said unto me my grace is sufficient for thee wow put it on a hobby lobby sign and sell me a bunch of them right Like, Hobby Lobby's making a ton of money with that one. My grace is sufficient for thee. I mean, how inspiring. How moving. But, like, let's just be honest. That sounds real good, but when you're in the midst of a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, my grace is sufficient for thee is kind of like the last thing you want to hear. Like, if I'm Paul, I'm thinking my grace is sufficient for thee and, and because of your grace, right, You're going to do what now? Well, look at what he says. He says, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And we can just go ahead and add there. He says, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. He says, I want you to be weak. Um, no. I don't want to be weak. Like, my grace is sufficient. No, it's not. Like when you're going through a trial, that doesn't really sound all that great. I'll tell you, my grace is sufficient for thee has meant a lot more to me this past year. In February, uh, our son Logan was born. We had been anticipating that for, well, nine months. I mean, I guess that's, that's how it works, right? And so, I mean, we had been looking forward to it. Uh, nine months earlier, my wife surprised me with this car. We came in from a VBS there at our church, and uh, she just said, I'm feeding for three now, you know, it's like, whoa, what, I mean, oh, okay, All right, we're, this is happening, we're having another child, you know, we have obviously Mason, and Mason, uh, we love Mason, Mason's awesome, he is, uh, he's crazy, but he's awesome, and he's, he's talkative, he's friendly, he's, uh, he's super smart, I don't, he must got that from his mom, because he definitely didn't get it from me, I mean, he's just, he's just this, this bundle of joy, uh, bouncing off the walls, energetic, he does get that from me, and, uh, and I mean, he's just, he's great, right, and so, uh, she said, hey, we're having another child, and I was like, man, like him and her and Mason or him and Mason, like that's just gonna be awesome to see them react and interact and 
you know, things like that. Now, we, my wife really wanted another boy. She wanted to be a boy mom. I was kind of praying for a boy, but I, I didn't really mind if it was a girl. I just knew if it was a girl, I was never going to have money again, you know. It was just kind of one of those things that she was going to have me, and uh, that was going to be the end of that. And so we found out it was a boy, you know, and I'll never forget that, like, excitement of, like, yeah, three-on-three basketball tournaments, right? We are going to dominate, right? You know, like, like one day, you know, it's going to be great, you know, and they're going to be able to play catch together and play football together. Like, that's going to be fantastic. And, man, as the, as the day grew near, the anticipation grew larger and the excitement kind of started building up more and more as you're kind of putting together uh, 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 decor and, and redecorating rooms and, and uh, buying clothes and getting uh, clothes from other people and toys and things like that. I mean, you, you get these, these dreams built up. You know, you pick out that name, you know, Logan. Yeah, that's a cool name. That's a, I wish that was my name, you know, like Logan. That's a cool name, you know, Matthew. Yeah, Logan Matthew. After Clay Matthews, the traitor, <laughs> departed for the Rams the day after I named him that, you know, I'm just like, what a bum, you know, I mean, I mean Clay, or I'm sorry, Logan Matthew Getz, man, I go to preach a revival down here in Florida, actually, New Orlando, and uh, my wife's due in about two and a half weeks, so I've got plenty of time, and uh, God was moving pastor extended the revival to another night and God just was moving one of the most spiritual highs I've ever been on of God just completely working in people's lives changing people's hearts working in my own heart I mean God was just really working in that meeting I flew home to San Diego at the time is where we where she picked me up from the airport and we were going to go to a couple's retreat that night with our home church there in San Diego our home church in Yuma but the retreat was in San Diego and we go to the couple's retreat and I'm telling everybody about the revival I was just at and how God was just really working and we go back to the room that night and my wife goes my water broke and I said no it didn't she said yeah it did I said I thought he was due in like two weeks yeah he's coming tonight <laughs> you know I was like get in the car right because we don't have insurance in California we have insurance in Arizona and so we got to go you know and so uh we, we jumped in the car well she called don't worry I mean you guys think I'm terrible and I am terrible but she 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 called the the uh, the the whatever it's called the uh the uh the the what Yes, the, she called the midwife, I guess so, and so she called the midwife, and, and uh, I don't remember what she said, but she said, just be careful, I think, and we got in the car, it didn't really matter what she said, we were driving that night, and so we got in the car, uh, we, we drove, the Lord's provision was over us, I mean, the speed limits that night were 105, and so I just, I just went with it, you know, and so, I mean, that's, a, that's what I saw, and so we, we got to Yuma, and uh, we get into our house, we're kind of getting the, 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 the to-go bags ready, we didn't have them ready yet, because it wasn't supposed to come yet, and so we're putting all the to-go bags in, we get in the car we drive over to the hospital and uh he didn't come he didn't come he didn't come we waited and waited and waited and waited and that anticipation built and built and built and built and finally at what time 7 46 p.m logan matthew gets was born oh man there's nothing like seeing a miracle right in front of your face look they can pass all the laws they want to Life began a long time before that baby was born. His value was already significant long before he was born that, ni that night. And I held my son in my arms. My wife held Logan. I mean, what joy. What peace. And we went to sleep that night. Well, I went to sleep that night. <laughs> she was up all night. But, you know, it's joyous that first night. It's the second night that kind of stings. But it's the first night that you're just kind of overcome. I remember waking up a little bit later and 
look over at my wife, and, and she's crying. I said, honey, what happened? She said, the doctor just came. He asked if we had Down syndrome in our family. I said, what'd you tell him? <laughs> he said, told him that we did it. Do we? No. I said, what did he say? He said, well, it's probably nothing. It's like, no, no, that sounds like something. Like, that sounds like we need, to, we need to know more about that. We got real anxious. We got real nervous. And we start Googling. You know, like I was talking about instant society. You can Google Down syndrome. We knew nothing about it at the time other than that people had it. And we're looking up these things. And, I mean, looking at these statistics that, you know, 50% of kids with Down syndrome have a, have a heart defect. They'll need heart surgery in their first year of life. Many of them will need continual heart surgeries throughout their life. Problems with eyes, problems with ears, problems with, with eating and being healthy. and Just getting to one is like a miracle in, in the world of Down syndrome. The doctor came in and began to say, oh, we don't know, but there's other more important things to work on right now and discuss on, and you can figure that out later. Needless to say, we were confused. We were confused for about two months. Finally, on April 19th and 14th, on the way to church, before on the way to church, we get a call from our pediatrician saying it's been confirmed. Your son has Down syndrome. I'll tell you, for those two months, it was a spiritual rough. For those two months, it was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad two months. I asked all kinds of questions to the Lord. My heart was grieving. I responded in, in depression and anxiety. Nervous about our future as a family. Nervous about what God was going to do with our son. and How we were going to get through this and our, the health of our son, of course. But on the way to church that morning, I really don't know how to describe it other than my grace is sufficient for thee. I just remember leaning over and, and touching my wife's lap as we drove to, dr drove to church by a 10-minute drive. And there were tears falling. But there was peace. And I, remember, I remember saying, you know, Lex, I don't know why, but I think we've got this. And I don't remember exactly what my wife said, but it was something way more spiritual than me. And it was like, no, 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 God's got this. God's got this. Logan turned one last Sunday. I'll tell you, God's strength happens when we're weak. I got to tell you, we serve a strong God, and we've seen it this past year in my son Logan's life. Logan has no heart defects. Logan hears fine. He sees fine. He, he moves finally, fine. He's a chunk, man. The dude eats like nobody's business. You put it in front of his face, it's in his mouth in a matter of moments. Right? But I got to tell you that. I got to tell you this, even if my son had had four surgeries this year, I got to tell you, I think I'd still stand here and say I'm thankful for Down syndrome tonight. And I'm thankful that it's in our family. I'm thankful that my son has it. Because man, our marriage is stronger than it's ever been before. God has, God has built our relationship together as a family. We've watched God intentionally work in our lives to get us into evangelism. Uh, God has, uh, I mean, I'm a better father. 
I teach my son Mason now about being kind to people regardless of what disability they might have or what differences they might have. I mean, I'm a better father. I'm a better husband. I'm a better Christian. I, I, I rely more upon God. Why? Because his grace is sufficient. And when we're weak, we get to see his strength. That was Job's response. I'm learning that needs to be my response. But my friends, that was Paul's response as well. Notice his response to my grace is sufficient for, 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 the, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Look at what Paul says there in verse number 9. He says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Then look at this. He says, therefore, I take pleasures and infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak... Then am I strong. In other words, he says, man, if God's strength is, happens when I'm weak, then he says, Lord, please make me weak. Send on the persecutions. Send on the reproaches. Send on the infirmities. Send on the stonings and the casting out. Man, Lord, persecute me. I want the trials. Why? Because I want your grace. I want your power. I want to be weak so that you can be strong in my life. Oh, my friends, may that be our prayer. May, may that be our outlook of most gladly will we glory in the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. It's been said you're either in a storm, going into a storm, or just coming out of a storm. For the sake of the message, we'll say it this way. You've either had a bad day, are having a bad day, or are about to have a bad day. But my question for us this evening is not, hey, let's gather around together and just pray for our bad days. M my, uh, my call tonight for invitation is not, hey, let's just get up around this altar and say, man, Lord, thank you for the bad days. No, what I want us to do tonight is ask ourselves, how are we responding to the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days? And to ask ourselves, does it look anything like Job? Does it look anything like Job. If not, may I say we've got some work to do tonight. We've got some business to attend to with the Lord. Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, I think today has been a good day. It's been a God day. It's been a day where we've come and we've worshiped at your feet. Lord, I don't know these situations that are represented in this room. I don't know the problems. I don't know the diagnosis. I don't know the questions that are in each and individual family and life tonight. And Lord, I don't need to know. Because Lord, you do know. You know every situation. And Lord, you're working it out for good. You have an end in mind. Lord, your thoughts towards us are good thoughts. They're precious thoughts. And so Lord, may tonight we respond like Job. May we respond in a way that would show we've, we've reached some spiritual maturity. In a way that would show that, that we seek to do what is good. In a way that would show we have a holy respect and reverence towards you. Lord, may we respond like Job. And may we re realign ourselves to the path you want us to be on. May we recognize our sense of contentment and joy comes from you. And may we remember to give reverence and honor to your name. Because when we're weak, oh God, you're strong.
Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'm going to ask us to stand to our feet if we could, if you're physically able tonight. And as the piano begins to play, if the Lord's spoken to your heart, now's our chance to respond. To respond to what we've heard tonight from the Word of God. So if the Lord's worked on your heart, you come. I invite you to come. I invite you to pray here at this altar and do some business with God. Pastor Kenny will come when the Holy Spirit leads him to, and he'll close our service the way that God works in his life.